today's episode, I sat down with Phil Aston of Genius Loci Media to discuss all things digital marketing and really learn a little bit more about Phil and his life and what he's been up to. And he was kind enough to tell me and share some of his wisdom. Um, I've always I've always liked Phil. I've met him years ago at a Samfire networking event and he always stood out as just being a very humble, kind and extremely talented and intelligent man. And whenever I've done workshops or have done anything, to be honest, he's always been enormously supportive, even being on the podcast today. So for me to get him on was a real privilege. And like I said, I, I, I learned a lot because... You know, I knew he was talented at what he did and he was a very sweet, unassuming man, but I, I didn't realise he knew quite so much and he'd had so much experience. Um, it was a really good chat. I was really pleased to have him on. And as you'll see by the end of it, he's always up to things, you know, that are always pushing the boundary of his knowledge. And you can follow him on a huge amount of platforms. And like I said, whatever you're into, whether it's digital marketing or music, uh, Phil's your man. And if it isn't just Phil, his wife, Sue, is also a fantastic musician. So like I said, they're well worth a follow. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you have any questions, please send me a message or send me an email to thad at thadducation.com. Enjoy. So on the show today, I've got the pleasure of Phil Aston, the head of Genius Loci Media. And I've, I've wanted to get Phil on for a while because um, I love Phil's take on life. He's a quietly unassuming man who knows an enormous amount, but he's so nice that he never kind of shows off about it. But the more content I consume from Phil online, the more impressed I am. And he's extremely supportive of me and comes to my workshops. And so, like I said, for me, this is a bit of a treat to have a one-on-one -on -one with Phil. And so I'd like to say thank you for coming on, Phil. You're going to teach us all things about you and, and digital marketing and uh, future-proofing your business. Thank you very much, Dad. Delighted to be here. Brilliant. Well, if for those of you who um, maybe haven't come across your excellent videos, if you could just give kind of your origin story of how you got here and a little bit of background about yourself. Uh, yes, um, my, it was myself and my wife, Sue Aston, who some of you may know as um, a composer and violinist. We, we, we were in the Midlands at the time and I was working as a director for WPP uh, and in charge of about 400 people. We were doing well. But Sue had started a side project of writing music about Cornwall. And, and because the technology at the time was changing, I just thought, well, why don't, why don't we set up a website and sell CDs online? This is going back to the late 90s, to be honest. And I'd started to do it as a side project. And we, so I learned about SEO and stuff like that and thought nothing of it. And yes, she sold some CDs. But um, we started to get inquiries from Cornwall, from businesses saying, could you build us a website? Could you do this for us? And the kids were at an age where the next step was senior school and we loved Cornwall. We'd always wanted to live by the seaside. And so we took a, a jump of faith um, to actually move from the Midlands to set up in Cornwall. Now, this was through all of the eyes of our parents and friends was an act of sheer madness because it was just, we had... Well, if I go back, it was 2004. You could go into a builder society in those days and say, we want to buy a house and we're going to buy it near Penzance and we're going to commute to Solihull. And they believed you, whereas now they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> and so we put together a business plan for how we were going to earn the money because we, we had, there was failure was not an option. Um, we had to pay a mortgage. We got two kids um, so that we couldn't jump back. This was a one way journey. And I'll be honest and say that within 12 weeks, our business plan was a complete and utter disaster. 
everything that we put down that we thought we were going to earn money from did not work across the board. Wow. But because we, we, what we did wrong as a setting up a business was we decided what we thought everybody wanted. Yeah. We thought this is what people want. They'll want, because I also at the time in my spare time as a yoga teacher, I'll just do that in a, in a couple of evenings a week and there's bound to be 20 people who'll come to each class. So you said, I'll do violin lessons. We'll get about 10 pupils a week. I'll be designing at least one website a week. Of course, we'll be selling loads of CDs anyway. I'll be helping people with marketing. When we arrived in 2004 in Cornwall, the internet was you went to the chip shop and if you wanted a plumber, you asked in the queue if anyone would recommend anybody. People in 2004 didn't really use Google. Yeah. So what we learned was we had to listen to what was required and what people wanted and not think, oh, I'm sure this is what they want. It was a culture change for us, but it, it set us up with get, turning the business from an idea actually into a business which would support us. I think that's that's really interesting because I know that I am really bad at creating what I think people will want. And I, I have this inner battle with my own head saying, Thad, you need to ask more people. Don't go and make that course without checking. And then I'll just go, no, no, but if I make the course, then I can give it to them and they can tell me if they like it. And as you say, this thing of you, if the best way is just to ask people, what is it that I can help with? They'll tell you and you start from there and you just double down and keep going with that. It is It is all about listening and it is that how we have been successful using social media across multiple channels has been because it's about listening first and not broadcasting first. I guess that when we first arrived here, we were actually broadcasting by saying, we're going to set this up and this is what we think you want. So it was humbling in a way, but it was also understanding that you have to be very fluid and flexible to adapt to a changing environment. And if you are working in the digital space, you have to always be thinking that you can at any moment let go of the baggage that you're carrying mm -hmm. and also to the point, and this is very easy for, for, for business, small business, self-employed people, creative people, you come up with an idea, your passion locks into it and you're so determined it's going to be a success. You just keep, keep going. But what we've learned is sometimes you have to just let go of what yeah. you thought was the right path and, and turn right instead of left. And, and that has also kept us in good stead at, through, through lots of different situations. Yeah, that's kind of, um, it's, again, really hard to do because you kind of have to care an enormous amount, but also not really care at all. I think probably the closest I can relate to that is when I was doing football coaching and I, you'd spend ages coming up with this ideal drill and you plan it all and you tell the players, and then you do it and they hate it and it's rubbish and you could never kind of foreseen why it wouldn't work until you're seeing it failing. And it's at that moment your ego wants to go, no, it's not me. It's the players aren't good enough. <laughs> so you can either force them to do it yeah, or you can go, that was shit, guys. Sorry. Let's do something absolutely. else. And letting, letting go of the outcome of what you think is the ideal thing you want to achieve. So, for instance, yeah. I mentioned earlier that one of the things I was doing as a side project was like yoga lessons. I thought it would just be a bit of bread and butter money. Yeah. But, of course, what I learned in Cornwall was, once the sun comes out, people would rather be on the beach. So instead of thinking I was going to have 20 people in a class, I had zero when it was a nice sunny evening. Yes. So instead of just thinking, well, that isn't going to work, I decided to do yoga weekends in luxury hotels. So to target a specific audience where I'd only need about five people to turn up and that would and do one a month or one every two months, and that would probably work better. And it did work. 
And the same as Sue with her violin lessons, instead of trying to find local people who had to drive a long way to come and have a violin lesson, she started to think, why don't I incorporate finding someone from Japan or Italy who wants to come and have a few days in Cornwall, have a day in the beach, but he can have a violin lesson in the evening and call it a workshop or a masterclass. And that worked. And so it was kind of then looking at like local businesses and think helping them to see how they could use the internet and their website in a way of talking and communicating with their customers in a way that they just saw it as before a online brochure. Yes. So it was yes. adapting the way we spoke to people and the way we use the technology um, in a rural area to, to get our, our name out there, really. And so I guess because this is all really interesting, the way you're able to pivot and rethink that kind of thing has that has that always come naturally to you to kind of to not be afraid to kind of change direction i think so but i think it was as you said at the start of the story really there was failure was not an option because we'd i think a lot of people when they start a business they keep one foot in the old world and one foot tentatively in the new world and they because they're edging their bets to think is it worth doing but what i my advice is as scary as it may be you have to jump yeah you have to jump off the cliff to learn to fly and I think it's, if you realize that, that you can't step back, you will, your creativity will, will blossom anyway as you start to look for avenues. Even if something looks as if it's not going to work, there will be a strand of it that, where another idea will jump from. But I think it is about, as I said, don't get attached to a specific outcome because I've seen so many people just say, no, we do this and, and this is what we do and this is going to work. And I know you see all those kind of memes of people digging and just and then they give up just before they reach the pot of gold underneath them. But yeah. I think it's always like that. I think you should be digging in several places at the same time, just in case. Yeah. So I think, yeah. and also maybe it's different in Cornwall. Or but each when you we're a digital marketing agency and we call ourselves Genius Local Media, so that it gives us the flexibility to do photography, videography, um, SEO, um, website design, hosting, music. Um, helping people with Spotify. It's given us, there is nothing that we could say we don't do. Mm -hmm. I know some people might say that means you're a generalist and you're not a specific or an expert or like a niche, look after your niche. But I think in any small business, your niche should be wider than one narrow silo. I think yeah. you need places to jump from and also to learn from as well. Yes, I think like you say that and if you've got if you're creative, you've probably got a curious mind. And and I think you were saying before, a lot of it isn't um that you kind of it was more the clients are saying, Do you know how to do this? And you're like, Well, I can probably find out and do it for you. So it kind of happened organically, again, responding to what other people were asking for. That's right. I think one of the one of the biggest lessons we had in business life um was actually around 2014, 13, when we when we joined the now defunct social media channel, um, Google Plus. Oh, yeah. We very quickly became seen as absolute experts in this field. And um, to, su to such a degree that um, we saw that we could use the software, which was very new then called Google Hangouts, to produce live concerts from our house. And, um, and we'd seen Google actually show an example of what you could use with this software. So we thought, let's, let's do that because... Sue didn't like the idea of playing gigs to only four or five people in a random church somewhere. So she thought, well, we could do that. And so we, by using social media, we talked to sound engineers in San Francisco, uh, someone else in Canada who helped us with some of the so software and te technology we needed. And then we, we just launched. 
and we had an audience of uh, I think three or four hundred people um, from around the world watching and it, it was such a success to a degree that even Google rang us up from their wow. marketing department in London and said how did you do that and I said well we just copied you guys and they said well actually we were mining um, we, we didn't actually think it would work so we, we realized and we, we, we got used as a case study for BT for the creative use of um, broadband in Cornwall so it was all going great and we, we even did a live, we even appeared at the um, Southwest Music Festival in, in America, in Texas, via our living room in Cornwall. Uh, our, our youngest son actually played guitar in front of members of the rock band Survivor. So it was a great time. But all of that, as, as people started to come to me for Google Plus help and anything to do with online streaming, it all went away, as you know. Yeah. So that, that taught me that that was the only time I think I steered the ship too close to one specific thing. And it made me really understand that you should not invest in anything, any kind of real estate that you don't own. Yeah, you know, that's that extremely you, wise. Yeah. And because I've seen that, I mean, you might, some people might go, oh, you mean like MySpace, but it could happen to any platform, any yeah. app you suddenly become so attached to, it could actually undermine your ongoing uh, success so we've learned a lot from that and so now we're we are we are we have we have a base camp on every social media channel there is we're even on tiktok we're everywhere but we make sure that we constantly are aware of trends habits you know what because it could alter at any time so you're in a way your website is your mothership it is the it is the spoke in the center of your wheel because that you own that sense. yes because it is that thing of um people get confused that when you have followers on a platform that they think that's their audience, but it's not, it's the platform's audience. And often algorithms will mean that not many people actually see you. And I was talking to another guy, Tom Ross, who was sort of saying <clears throat> as good as it is to kind of spend a lot of your time on Instagram or whatever, he feels that say building an email list is a much more productive sort of way of communicating with people. It's a lot more kind of personal. And if it comes to kind of um, making money or launching products, he said, having a, an engaged email list is, is often crucial. So I think you, like you said, you're wise because um, there is a kind of life cycle and you can see with Instagram, they, they get to a stage where it's going quite organic. Then it gets successful, bought out, ads are introduced. The algorithm squeezes the organic reach, forces on the ads and people jump to something like TikTok. And you can see now people are migrating across to that and that'll be the next kind of big thing sort of thing. But even that, even TikTok will, will change. Yeah. It will reach a saturation point. So, so how do you spot trends then, Phil? How do you, what, what is it you're looking for? I mean, uh, I, I look for anything to, I mean, all of it. A lot of what I do, um, not, I'm not deviating too much what you've just said, but it's, it's realising that we live in a world where outside of being a vet or a doctor, a lot of what you can find out in the fast-moving digital space is on, is all, someone online on YouTube is already talking about something. It's making sure that you you subscribe or check into certain websites um, to see what the trend, what news is coming out and then explore that and stay up to date. So about a week of my, a day a week of my life is actually just reading and making okay. sure that I'm aware of changes and what's happening because these things are altering all the time. Um, and then not all of them work. I mean, there's, um, uh, what's, I can't remember this. There's, there's at least two or three, um, social media channels that I've recently joined in the last year that haven't taken off. Um, that, that, and you see, it's best that as soon as you see one arrive and you might think, oh, not another one, just go and set up your name there so you've got it. 
and so you planted your flag in the ground and then if if people start to traverse over there then you you're ready yeah um, but if they don't then don't put any time into it and equally as a lot of people say is that you've got a first tier of social media channels and then tier two where you, and the first tier is where you think your audience is yeah not where you necessarily like to be i mean i know that a lot of people set up base camp at instagram because it's pretty and it's easy to do and you can put a lot of time into that but if you're if you're if you're a b2b business and it's it's more it's unlike say wedding suppliers which sue's into instagram's fantastic for her yeah. but if you're it's be it may not be the best place for you to spend your time maybe it is linkedin that's better for you and you should put all your to even if you don't necessarily feel it's it feels like you're more going to work but social media will it's a time sink so you've got to really think about what you're posting. And I think when some people get busy, they just cross post using automation across every single platform. Um, and I think that is, I think that's a complete no, no. I mean, because each audience that you've, each community that you've built up on whatever platform, even if you've got some people who are in both, they don't want to see the same, the same spin on the, um, the same story. They want to see a slightly different angle. Mm. So I think it's showing your, the culture or personality as a business or as a person on each platform. So for me on Instagram, it's more laid back and behind the scenes. Um, whereas LinkedIn, it's more business. Facebook is kind of neutral. Um, Twitter is more kind of things I think people might find interesting and sharing that I think is useful. So I've got a different type kind of approach or different personality um, um, depending on what platform I'm using really. And then the website is kind of corporate and the blog is, personal but that's quite a nice way of doing it because i've i've often thought say with instagram you can get very narrow and you're trying to think of uh, content themes uh, where actually as you say the psychology and the, the sort of mindset of someone who's on twitter versus linkedin versus facebook still the same personality or same person they've just got a different sort of mental state but i like that approach of uh you having a presence across all the platforms but having a type of more more like fitting the platform to the type of content so if it is behind the scenes you have it on one thing if it's more like news bites you have it on another if it's more professional it's on you know so it's kind of you don't have to break it down so like if i look at instagram you go well, I'll, I'll post my work on the grid so it looks nice then i'll show the behind the scenes on the stories and then i'll engage in the dms it's kind of no no why don't we just stick to one type of content on that platform and then if i want to show more professional work you go fine show that on linkedin and if you want to show something a bit more social, a bit more personality driven, share that on Facebook. It means you don't have to have that problem, as you say, of like, I want to post something with a personality driven post. And now I just copy it across everything and it doesn't land in some places. I think the other thing that we've learned is that, and I think this is very probably trickier for larger businesses than smaller ones, is that that they've been so used to broadcasting and just telling people what, what they're doing and what their offers are, that they just, they're just like a drive by post. This is what we're doing. Follow the link, buy it. A bit like when we first moved to Cornwall. Um, but we've realized now that, for instance, uh, Sue's wedding business, I, I do a lot of the social media for that. And a lot of people will say, it'll be a pretty picture and it'll say, we're running, you know, we've got a few dates left. Please book us now, etc. Here's and follow us. But if people already know that, <laughs> because they, yeah. if they want to, they can look at your profile, they already know what, and that's not what people want to see what you what people want to see is you're actually talking about your experience of why 
you like to do what you do, how it makes you feel when you help, um, a, sort of say, a bride or a couple, how you feel while you're waiting for them to arrive and if you're for Stu doing the music and, and, and how you've helped, how you've met people. People want to know that side of your business and that's what social media, I feel, is how to use it. So it's showing some, not, it's not vulnerability, but it's showing how you feel about your customers in yeah. a way that shows how much you care. And I think a lot of people don't do that. It's very flat. And it takes, it's harder to do for a brand. If you're just represented by a logo, this is very difficult because obviously your logo, it doesn't look very personable. And even if you've got staff, you've got to brief them to be your, the culture of your business. Yeah. Um, they've got to understand, you know, the cultural statement. But if you're a small business, it actually is easier than you think, but it, it means that it takes longer to do the post because you're writing from the heart. But that is what it's, um, it's how you make people feel. And I say this to a lot of people, it's when you post anything on social media or your blog, it's thinking, will this help? Will it make someone smile? Uh, and will it inspire anybody? And if you, if you can't tick those three boxes, don't post it. Yeah, that's a really nice kind of checklist to sort of filter everything. Because it's, yeah, as you say, the temptation to broadcast the kind of monologue and tick a box of like, well, I've posted for today, that's done it's overwhelming because you feel like if I don't post for today, I'm missing out. And obviously I, I want to keep visible, but, but also if you're posting boring crap, you're turning people off and that's actually doing damage. So I, I like that. I think what, that's very important. Yeah. So I've, I've got, I always ask a few questions of people because it's always fascinating to get their insights. So the first thing would be, what's the best advice you've ever received, Phil? The best advice I've ever received. Do you know, I think, I think it is about, I think it is about listening first. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm naturally uh, an introvert. I'm not a, an, an outgoing person. Um, if I go to a networking meeting in the bit, when they say we're going to go around the table and everyone stands up and talks five minutes, it, it still makes me kind of cringe. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I forget half the things that we actually do um, because that's not how I operate and how I've won a lot of business is actually instead of going to a, a business and I've done all this research and I've made up my own mind because obviously now I can go and research on looking at how the website's going. I can see how the business is performing so I can arrive saying this, I, I know everything, but actually people actually don't want that. It's, I found it's easier to turn up and say, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And actually instead of having a preconceived idea, because I've gone and looked at some Google analytics stats, I actually say the cliched stories like, you know, what does success look like for you? is to listen so the, the the most important um advice has been to listen first and to listen for actually longer than you think if you yes. find yourself if you find yourself starting to formulate your answer because you've obviously inspired and the person is starting to tell you what they're looking for and how what what's going on in their business if you find yourself starting to bubble up to the service where you're going to interrupt them stop there will be a natural pause where they will wait for your response, but just listen. And actually it's, it's quite a, it's quite a skill. Um, and it's, we probably learned it because of what happened at the start of our business when the phone wasn't ringing at all. Um, so it is about finding out what your potential customer base really wants. And these are people. So when you start to go online and you see websites saying, no, your customers pain points and all the rest of it, you need to talk to the person to find out that, and not presume you know what their pain point is, because some of them will be obvious, cash flow, orders, 
uh, worried about the, the future or whatever, but there'll be more to it than that. Uh, yeah. it, it's about listening, first of all, for as long as that takes. No, I think that's good. And, and as someone who interrupts often, the temptation to not jump in with the answer is really hard. And I think is that thing if you just got to, like you say, if you keep quiet, more will come. It, like, it's almost cathartic for them once they start going to kind of release that. That's lovely. And, and what about the worst advice you've ever received? I think the worst advice would be to have someone saying you've got to have a, a business plan before you, you before you start. Um, it's got to be absolutely typed up, written up, signed off. And, um, and then you've got to have a plan, a bit like the people that say you've got to post five times a day on Twitter. You've got to do 10 times on Pinterest. You've got, to me, that's the worst advice you could give anybody because you're turning everyone into a, a content robot. Yeah. Who are giving absolutely no value whatsoever. It feels like you're really busy, but the phone isn't ringing and no one's getting in touch with you. You're just kind of noise. And I think that the worst advice for any small business is telling people this is what you should be posting per day and this is what you should be doing because we're all different. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think you have to find your own space in, in, in running your own business. You have to find what works for you. These, some people, they can be up at five o'clock in the morning, go to the gym for six, be running around with a cup of coffee like um, Gary Vee, which is fine because he, he can do that. He's got a whole team behind him. Yeah. That personally doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me at all. Um, I, work, I work from home also. We're a home-based business, so we need self-discipline. But for me, and some of you have seen my kind of non-work videos, will have noticed that I put things up saying this is my walk to work or this is my walk home from work. And I do that deliberately as a marker in the sand to know when I've started and when I've finished. Yeah. It's so that I don't just wander down the stairs in a dressing gown and start answering my emails. And it's so that I know that I've, I'm moving from one world to the next. That yes, helps. That, that's really helpful, isn't it? Mentally, isn't it? To make that switch yeah. between I'm at, I'm at work or I'm at home. I know my friend, he walks his daughter to and from school and he says that walk is his like commute he calls it so it's like even if like he doesn't take it to school that day he'll still do a lap around the block and come in and yep. be like right now i'm in work mode then i'll leave the house in the evening come back and i'm in home it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very I mean, helpful that's very good that's that's very close to what i do but i think it's, it's also that i find it very hard um even if i'm a creative person to come up with something if i'm just staring at a blank screen with a little blinking cursor in the top left hand corner yeah. I'll just be staring at it. But so that walk, that going out and moving around helps me formulate my to-do list and also solve problems. So I think that that works for me. That doesn't, but bad advice would be me saying, this is what you should all do. That's yes. bad advice. Yes. It's what works. It's what works for you. It's like people that say, you should really be on LinkedIn or you should really be on this platform. You should be where you feel you want to be that's best for your business and 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 what and people say you should use this software. It's what works for you. Uh, I was doing a talk yesterday with someone else, and they're saying what software platforms you use for online streaming or for video. I use whatever is right for that specific project, and I sometimes use a green screen, as some people have seen me use. But what I try and do is is not make it so complicated. It puts me off being creative. You can sometimes develop thing. I've got to be so professional. All these steps have got to be in place and it becomes an overhead. You think, oh, I just can't be bothered to set it up. Yes. You know, so you've got to make it easy. But now this only, like you were saying, sometimes you just need to just talk into your phone. 
for a, yeah, I for find a that huge. Record, and that's enough. Yeah, I find that using the technology should enable you, but it shouldn't become a barrier. And I, I was obsessed yeah. with producing perfect audio and getting all that right. But actually, I kind of, it, it would, like you say, it would, it would get in the way because it felt too many things to do um, before I could actually get started. So I was like, this isn't going to work. And I, and I do think that kind of advice out there does kind of scupper some people that they, there are so many people doing online courses, so many people are offering, this is how you should do the perfect podcast or perfect mm. video, whatever. And people think, oh, I've got to be able to have all this in place and buy all this stuff before I can start. And you don't, you could just start. Just, yeah. just, and you say, as you said earlier, people are very forgiving if, it's, if the sound isn't quite right. They'll, if the content is right, if it's coming from the right place, you know, you're, you're being authentic and real and you're, and you're heartfelt in your message. That's what people will hear. They won't hear the clicks and pops if there are any. No, or my dog howling in the background as it tries to get in the door. <laughs> um, what is, this is quite timely, but wasn't planned. What is a pivotal disaster that you're thankful for that happened in your life or your business? Well, it's going to, it's, it has to go back to the beginning, really, because everything went wrong. Yeah, um, because we we'd we'd put together like anyone would. You put together a, a kind of cash flow forecast of how many things you're going to sell or things that people are going to sign up for, and and you're going to see a graph that goes upwards. That we had a graph that flatlined. Um, now some of those things came to life. Um, so obviously we weren't. We started to do website. We started websites. We started to do um, SEO. We started to do photography and all this. These all of them eventually started to come to life like the, the yoga or the music or whatever it all started to take off but it started to take off because of the way we changed our approach to getting that business mm -hmm. so the so the pivotal thing was realizing that you can't just say this is my plan show it to a few people and they go wow that looks really impressive um because you in it you, you're only going to show it to your bank manager to start with and a few close friends and they're bound to say it looks impressive um, but then when you actually start to work, you start to think this isn't, this isn't happening. Um, you know, or you, like we first did, we, we did go through a little panic phase, went to a few networking things, we just rushed to giving out our cards till someone said, that's not what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, you start to realize that actually you have to take some steps back and, be, and you have to have patience. There's so, nothing worse than looking desperate. No, that's that. Yeah, you've got to hold your nerve. You're not busy and pretend you're busy. It's kind of um, is a real it is is a real balance. You don't want to be too needy and like uh, you got to just pretend you you know inside you're freaking out, <laughs> but on the exterior it's like yeah yeah. yeah. And but, see, I'll check my schedule. <laughs> but yeah, but big businesses do this. I mean, I said I used to work for WPP, and I remember they they had got a big job working for IBM, and they and IBM said this is fine. We're going to pay you X amount of money, but we need to make sure we've got a team of people just on our account. And that we need to make sure they're separate from anyone else that works for your company so that they're not talking to the other car companies that you work for. You know, and I was with the MD and they went, yeah, that's not a problem. And at that time, they didn't have a separate team and, and everyone was working in the same building. But they just thought it's they then had the, the catalyst was they'd been given the job and now they had to put the resources together to achieve it. And that was something else we took on. So some of the projects that, that I took on during the time we started Genius Like Us being that we won the job. And then afterwards, we looked for the resources and the, and the tech we needed to, to deliver that. So we didn't get all the resources in place and the tech thinking one day we might get a client you know, of this type. We just work as if whatever, whatever comes along, we say yes to it. And then we look at a plan to deliver. Because if people have, have booked you to do something, 
There's something about you and your personality that has instilled trust in them that you can do this. So then you use your skills to find the right people. Yeah, that's um, very wise. Like I say, say yes and you, you'll, you'll make it up. Because as you say, they, they, it's impossible. The foot, when you said about, well, we'll build the sort of setup and hope someone wants to use it, that's never going to work, is it? Because like it's, it's, never, it's never going to work. You've got to work. respond to it, what they want. And, and then you'll get to a position, I think, where you are yourself, where you can have a client say to you, look, Phil, can you, we also want this doing, and it's not something you actually do, but you know someone who might be good at doing that. And you might have thought it as a, as a, as a other business might say, well, we can introduce this to someone. And I've had a client say, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to anyone else but you. You just yeah. deal with it. You deal with it and we'll just talk to you. So obviously then it, that was, in fact, that was one of the, it was that actual conversation with a large hotel who said that. They said, look, I know you don't do this, but you just find someone and just invoice us. And it made me realize it was like giving being permission to outsource certain things yeah. because they, yeah. they recognized that, they trusted me and they thought well whoever he finds they must be okay but i don't yes. have to deal with it i just don't want to have dealing with loads of suppliers so i think it's it's that kind of thing really it's it's it starts with you at the right front front end of the ship it's your personality your ability to listen and for them to realize that you are listening because i've been in so many pitches where you can tell that the people doing the pitch have not listened at all or are being really kind of um, positively arrogant, I guess. In a, yeah. in a, it's kind of very, because I've always thought I can't be like that. This is always going to let me down because I can't, I can't just walk into the room and fill the space. But I've actually realised that my shyness is one of my greatest strengths because I listen more. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I haven't pre-thought of my opening speech at all. I'm leaving myself as a blank piece of paper to because I don't know what is going to be said to me first so if i've rehearsed what i'm going to do to the last word and then the person brings another bit of information in it completely throws me i'm going to have to think on the spot so i just leave myself open to my experience and what i've done before to see how i can then bring that to help somebody new and so what has been your most successful way of getting clients then video um vi video and word of mouth uh, word of mouth um, is obviously huge, um, and that is, and that doesn't mean necessarily for those of you thinking it's just all local. It isn't. Uh, it'll be that someone will just say, "Oh, we use Phil Aston for this, or we use Genius Local Media for this," and we thought it was really good. So a lot of business from around the country has rolled in from somebody somewhere. But it was actually we start going back to what we said about Google Plus. So I started to do business shows from there, and then I got used to being in front of the camera. So I started to. And I'm not someone who finds it very easy to type thousand word blogs. I just get completely bogged down with it, mm -hmm. but I find it quite easy just to face a, a little camera and just talk into it for five minutes. Uh, I use sometimes rev.com to get it transcribed, but I just do video and, and then put it out there and you never know um, when you put stuff out there, who's going to see it and you don't know when they're going to see it, but we've, but we've gained clients um, in London and sometimes abroad by people who've stumbled across a video I've done talking about something and then they've watched another video and they, and, and they thought, well, he seems okay. And they've got yeah. in touch. So video marketing in the world we live in now where you are connected to the whole world is very good. Now, it, some of you might be thinking, well, everyone's doing it. They are, but not everyone's doing it very well. Um, so, and I think that, and again, some people then spend too long going down a rabbit hole trying to learn the techniques, but it's the techniques are you. It's being yourself. 
So that, my advice would be is, is just to be honest and be you and just start from the beginning and you'll bumble a bit at first and it will sound a bit unrehearsed. But actually, oh, a good example of this is we did two videos for two holiday companies, two holiday parks. One of them cost, um, they, they used a third party video company. It cost four and a half thousand pounds for the video and they put it on YouTube. It was, it was awesome. It was, it was like a Hollywood movie. Fantastic. And then the other one, they just the head of the organization just used his phone and, and stood outside one of the four bedroom properties and said, follow me. And he just basically walked around saying, here's the kitchen, here's the living room. It was wobbling all over the place. And that one had something like, it was about 50 times as more hits on YouTube than the professional one. And I think it's because it was real. Yeah. People well, believe Realness it. is important, yeah. isn't it? Because when it's too polished yeah. and overproduced, I agree. I think you kind of it's not people's fault but it's they want to they in their head they're kind of going can i be like what i've seen on tv and can i get all the swish graphics and the green screen and, and they go over the top doing all that when as you say really it's kind of can you get the knowledge out of your head in front of a camera and then almost yeah. don't worry about watching it back be quite almost like oh, i just want to make sure it's like it's done it's out there what's on next and it's probably the the consistency of doing it is going to be what makes you stand out and that the word consistent is so important um it's it you've got to you've got to turn up um and so whatever you decide to do whatever platform you want to pr um, focus on or whatever media medium you want to use that you turn up and you it doesn't mean every day or five times a day but as long as you turn up you know you know on a regular basis so people get to know you i think we live in a rural part of Cornwall. So going to networking events of which there are many takes a few hours to sometimes get to them and to get back from them. And sometimes you, you might meet about 3% of the people in that room and it's completely random. I mean, they're very good. Um, but we found by just making sure you put our consistent message on the internet and video works because we know ourselves that when we were on Google plus we've got loads of contacts in every part of the world we feel like they're friends we could go down the bar with and buy a drink because we we did so many video chats and so many video yeah. meetings that video makes you feel as if you already know the person i think video is the fastest way of building trust you know blogs and things like but video I, I think is the best way for people to see you as you are and for you to be yourself no, and the more you right. do it the more you become yourself and um what do you want your legacy to be, Phil? <laughs> wow. Nice and easy um, one, that one. <laughs> um, that's a very good question. I'll, I'll, try and, I'll try and zoom in on that. But I think it's the fact that we've left a lot of footprints all over the place. And I think it's hopefully when people look back at it, that it shows that you can run a business and still be creative and still have you and still have all the important things in life your family your kind of beliefs and your and your goals all all intermingle all kind of weaving in and out of each other really and i think so your passions and your you know whatever your concerns are and your worries about running a business that that this from every problem there will be a creative solution in there somewhere and I think it's, and also making sure you've got space to be creative. So if people look back, they'll see photography, they'll see videos, they'll see, they'll see websites perhaps, and they'll see how we've helped people. And also that we've got, you know, the comments that the random comments that all of you might see on 
social media post you did three months ago and you've forgotten about, but someone's discovered it and they've said something that's changed their life or made them think of something new. All these things build up like a, like a matrix across your digital footprint, really. So I think all of us are creating a legacy, even if we don't think we are. Wherever we go, whatever we post lives forever. So as I said earlier, how you communicate, the words you use and what you share and how you make people feel is your legacy. And I think all of us are responsible for that. And whereas um, when my my mom passed away last year, her legacy is like a box of little black and white photographs and a few family snaps. Our legacy now as people living in this period is huge. Um, you know, this isn't about looking for a little bit of um, uh, small fit, uh, reel of film that you found in the loft. All of us are leaving a legacy. So I think all of us have responsibility for that. And, and if you do run a business or whether it's, whether it's a, you're selling widgets or you're doing something to help others or support others through difficult times, whatever it is, you are, we are all connected. And I think the other thing I've learned is that where we live, it's like a giant digital village. Everybody knows somebody who knows somebody else. So everything you say makes a difference somewhere. That's lovely. And uh, what is it that you never get asked about, but you'd actually quite like to talk about? <laughs> well, uh, the, my, one of my biggest passions is, is collecting music. Uh, in fact, it even has a side project website called um, nowspinning.co.uk. And, um, and, and that's, that website, just uh, there's lots of videos on there. Well, I review classic albums from the past. And um, it's, it has gained a life of its own. But yeah, my passion is, is vinyl records and stuff like that. And, um, and in fact, it was somebody called Timothy Hughes who helped me open the, the box towards that because I'm from a corporate world originally. I've always kept like, things in little boxes. This is Phil, the digital media guy. Um, over here is Phil, the yoga guy. And Phil's into music. But wherever I was, they were all kind of separate. Yeah, and it was realizing that um, I, we were, we were, I think I was talking about a Black Sabbath album to somebody, and then he introduced me to someone who became a client because they also liked the band, and it made me realize that actually, your personality and your interest and what actually you like, whether it's it could be football or hockey or, or um, you know, antique sports cars, that actually that forms part of who you are, and and that will also attract you sometimes to gaining a client over a competitor. Not, uh, even if it's just down to really being close because you're, they think, well, I'll be able to talk to that guy yeah. um, far more easier than this one over here. Uh, so, so, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, so uh, but if I've realized, and that's actually sad, it's quite late in life, actually, but because I launched that website about 18 months ago, that it was actually thinking, let people know as much about you as possible and actually spread, instead of just thinking business, not business, it's just all in a way connected. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think it's it's probably it's liberating to be able to share who you really are with people, particularly professionally, because you, as you say, you're always told, no, no, this is what you have to be, and it's not appropriate to kind of not break character, but talk about those things. But I think yes, I agree. Drawing reference points from unusual films that you're into or music or whatever makes you more relatable and more interesting. So I think that's that's it's really nice to know about. And what was the website in case people want to check it out? Uh, now spinning.co.uk there you go this is a new one for me um yeah <laughs> and is there any bit of advice or wisdom that you would like to give um well hopefully i've kind of 
mentioned some stuff along the way, but I think it, it is about being patient and believing, believing in the fact that you can, believing in yourself, but also believing that you can change as well as and when required and not get too stuck. And don't feel as if, if you have an idea, and, and, and don't over-research the idea to see if someone else has done it. Okay. And then find out, you know, just give it a go. I mean, we live in an age where you could set up a little website or a, or a Facebook page and try something out and see if it gets any traction. Um, you can do your own experimentation. I think sometimes people look for reassurance that initially make, might make them feel better or, or tell them, no, oh, I'm glad I haven't done that. But actually, it's just one person's opinion. It's one stranger on the Internet's opinion of what they think may or may not work. Um, so I think it's it's just giving it's having a go and having the, the courage with joy in your heart. Cause if you've got fear in your heart, think, I don't know if this is going to work. It won't. Yeah. You've got to think now let's, you've got to have the right approach when you, when you start whatever project really. No, that's lovely. And I think what you were saying earlier about when you, when you go into something, just jumping all in and having faith in yourself to kind of find the solution, because it's probably not what you'd planned for, but actually that's the way everything is. Uh, was really nice and you know like I said with me with education I'm always in between two and I'm waiting to properly jump in and the older I get I just think how long am I going to keep waiting because it's like I, you know so it is it, you know, it definitely makes you think I thought that was a lovely bit of advice well, well a bit like just touching back on the my music now spinning website which is just a hobby but will it but I have started to think recently will it actually all remain just a hobby because it's taken a life of its own. It gets a lot of hits now from around the world. It's got a YouTube channel. People are commenting on it. It's got a Facebook group that's um, really active. Um, it's on Twitter. It's, and, and it started off just like, well, perhaps I should talk a bit about one of my hobbies, but it's already leaning towards people, um, record companies saying, would you review our box set for such and such if we sent it to you so it's actually it's growing so again if you if you set interest and it's something you really love don't just think that it can't be a it can't actually be another revenue stream or turn into a business later on no that's really you nice it, you know if it may it may just do that yes i know that when i do like um movie posters or like fictional movie businesses and um football designs I'd like, I could do that all day, but it's the thing of like, if I kept doing it with a little bit of pushing, you could probably, like you say, make a bit of money for it and it justifies doing it. So I think that you say not being dismissive of these kind of things that make us unique and like always perceived as hobbies, double down and, you know, lean into them because people like to know about it. And it does, I honestly, it's what makes you more memorable. It's that because everyone, like you say, when you're meeting people, you want to latch onto something. And if you are, oh, that guy loves Black Sabbath then that's what you're known as. And I think you're, you're more yeah. memorable because of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. No, it's amazing, Phil. Thank you so much. Um, okay. So if anyone wants to follow you and check out your videos uh, and stay up to date with what you're up to, where, where's the best places they can go to find you? Uh, well, the website is geniusloci.co.uk, which is G-E-N-I-U-S-L-O-C-I.co.uk. But you'll, you can easily find me under Phil Astor, under Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, under Genius Loci. Um, as I say, you can find me on TikTok, Pinterest, Instagram. Um, we're everywhere. He's everywhere. Be happy to... <laughs> that's everywhere for now, yeah. No, that's amazing. That's brilliant. Well, thank you, Phil. Like I said, I really appreciate your time. We should do this again. Uh, I've certainly learned a lot and thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much, Thad. Been brilliant. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. 
And like I said in the episode, please go and follow Phil. Tell him you said hi from me and the Fabrication Gang. Um, like I said, he's always doing things which you know we should all be watching. And his curious mind and kind of years of expertise are going to be enormously you know valuable, particularly in a sort of uh, pandemic like this. If you found the podcast enjoyable, I'd love it if you shared with someone who might find it valuable. And as always, please subscribe. And if you have the time, rate and review us because that obviously gets us higher in the rankings. And like I said, if you have any questions, please send me an email, fad at fadducation.com. Have a great day. Thank you.